Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, how are you today? Right across the Jordan River. Right across the Jordan River. Did you know my baptized? My baptized? My dad? My, my baptized my, was... My dad was baptized in the Jordan River. For like his first baptism? For his first baptism. Oh. Because I know a lot of people, like when I went to Israel, a lot of people were getting like re-baptized oh. in the Jordan River. It's like a, a, it's thing. a thing. And like you, yeah, it's like an industry. Is there's an <laughs> of course there is <laughs> of course there is there's a Christian there's a <laughs> there's an industry there uh, uh, that's hilarious yes. no my my dad got legit first time baptized that's crazy at the Jordan River that's awesome uh, which is really cool yeah it's like a really <laughs> it was a very surreal experience when I was at the Jordan River because I was on the um, Israeli side of okay. the Jordan River and the part of the river I was on was probably only I don't know fifteen feet wide okay really narrow yeah yeah uh and on the other side the palestine side right uh-huh i i could just see palestinian arm army people with automatic rifles that's sitting there crazy in case anybody tried to cross the jordan <laughs> which, <laughs> which is pretty on the nose pretty on the nose for this story here that's crazy but it was very surreal being like did you get rebaptized at the jordan i did not i did get in but I did you, not. Did get you just re-baptized. like just dunk yourself just to? Just I didn't. To, I don't even think I went. No, I didn't even go under because I didn't have a change of clothes. Jesus did this too. <laughs> but I did like wade in it. That's pretty. And cool. that was that was pretty cool. It was yeah. It was very surreal. It was super neat. But yeah, the the Palestinian soldiers definitely added a pall over That's the. So crazy! Like like just like just the like fortress of Jericho stood over the border of the Jordan. That's right. So the the Palestinian <laughs> soldiers were not trying to make a political point. We're really not. We're really not. It's just it's a just par- what's happening. interesting parallel. It's just what's happening in this moment. That was <laughs> um, unscripted. <laughs> so before we jump in to Joshua 3 to 5, uh, I just want to make a note that we've decided for the first time ever with this um, book that we want to open it up to you guys, our audience, yes. to ask us questions about Joshua as we go through it. So as you're listening to us talk about this book, 
especially the book of Joshua, it, it can just be really confusing and people can have a lot of questions about it. So we thought it would be a great place to start doing some question and answer. Um, so if you have a question about anything in the book of Joshua, um, send just send an email to us at podcast at spokengospel.com. Yep. That's podcast at spokengospel.com. You can send it in a text format and we'll read it. Or better yet, record yourself in a voice message on your phone and send that as an email attachment and we can play your voice on yep. the podcast. And Should be super fun. People can hear your beautiful voice. So keep your uh, questions short and to the point. And that'll make them more likely to get aired. And we're really excited to dialogue with those uh, at the in- after we finish the book of after Joshua. We finish, yeah. We'll record a Q&A. A Q&A. So... That'd anyway, be, I'm excited about that. That'd I forgot that we were going to do that. I know. So I'm excited that yeah. you remembered. And <laughs> <laughs> we're actually doing it. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, and we are uh, coming up on our, we're getting very close to our 100th episode. Next week will be our 100th episode. Yes. Which uh, is like our strictly 100th episode. Yes. Including specials and, and everything. Like everything. But yes. Yes. Our 100th episode is next week. Which has been exciting. Yeah. So anyway. All Celebrate right. Celebrate with us. Cool. Joshua. Joshua, three to um, five. What has been going on up to this point? Well, basically, uh, we we had the incident with Rahab. Yes. Rahab hides the spies. Uh-huh. Uh, Joshua sends a couple men over the border, border of the Jordan River to spy out the land to see what's happening. And Rahab, a prostitute, uh, confesses faith in Yahweh, mm-hmm. hides the spies from the king Jericho's Gestapo, and makes and uh, has this really interesting phrase where she says, "The hearts of the people melt mm-hmm. before you." Right, and because they heard that all all that Yahweh did to the people in yes. Egypt, and like how he parted the Red Sea, yes. and it was this crazy thing. And we talked about how her heart melts in repentance, yes. while the other people's hearts melt in into like hardening yeah. <laughs> also melted to hardening jericho's gestapo is something you just said <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> any bad guy in the story will just be called there there the, are there 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 their jackbooted stormtroopers will be called gestapo Gestapo. um and then before that uh joshua assumes command of the army and yes. nation of Israel. He takes Moses's place. Yes. yes. And so what really ends up happening here in chapter 3 is that we're we're concerned that Joshua is a worthy successor right. to Moses. So yes. you have Moses who saw God face to face, who received the 10 commandments, who like spoke with God on a mountain for 40 days. Wrote who, the Torah. Yeah, wrote the Torah. Like You have this pretty impressive figure who led them through the wilderness, who struck water from a rock, who like prayed to the Lord and yeah. armies were defeated. Like Yeah, you, let alone everything he did in Egypt yes. in, at the Exodus, like calling down plagues and confronting Pharaoh and freeing God's people from slavery in Egypt. He's done a lot. He's done a a lot. Those so, are big sandals to fill. <laughs> very large, very large sandals to fill. Size fourteen sandals. Um, so <laughs> I, just, I just kept thinking in my mind of like how you can call like sandals thongs. Oh, but I don't like, say that. I was like, I was like, <laughs> anyway, we'll let we'll let the listener complete that <laughs> sentence in their own mind. Uh, so Joshua has very big sandals. sandals. <laughs> To fill. Yes. And so really, it's like, it's a question of legitimacy in one sense. Right. Can he actually do the job? Like, does right. he have God's blessing? Well, especially if you think about the end of Deuteronomy. And I don't know how much of the very end of Deuteronomy would uh, would have been communicated to Israel, but they had to be feeling it 
which is, uh, and to that day, no prophet had arisen like Moses. Yeah. Who spoke with God face to face. And so it's like that kind of thing is ringing in their ears, whether or not it was written at that point or not, isn't, isn't important. That's the haunting nature that we should be feeling as listeners when we step into Joshua. Yeah. Is like, well, who's going to lead God's people? <laughs> or, and you've experienced that when you haven't, like, I had this terrible manager at oh, Starbucks. No. She was just the worst. Yeah. And everyone hated it. And then she was quitting and oh. a new manager was coming in. And everybody like automatically hated the new guy. Oh, based yeah. on our experience with the old manager, we're super skeptical, really kind of angry, and we're just waiting to see what this guy will do. It's like, is he going to be better than what we had before? Like we've we've had that moment right. where a new leader comes in after a leader we know, whether a good one or a bad one, and we're like, are you going to be like the one before, mm. or are you going to be better? Right. And so in this moment in Joshua three to five, we're kind of getting an answer to that question. Right. Is Joshua a worthy successor? to Because it's not even about necessarily Joshua's character, although that's tied up into it, mm-hmm. the bigger issue is, has God chosen Joshua? And will God be with Joshua? Will he be Yahweh to Joshua? I am to Joshua the way he was with Moses. Like, will Joshua's leadership be accompanied with great power yeah. and signs and miracles? Like, because that's the only way they're going to be able to take this land of Canaan Yes, is if the powerful Yahweh is on their side. Yeah, which is why it's really important to notice in the very first verses, chapter 3, verse 3, uh, you see Joshua organizing for the Ark of the Covenant to be the center of them going into the land. Right. So before the Ark of the Covenant was built in the book of Exodus, and in the book of Exodus mm-hmm. God's presence was communicated by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Right. So think back to the uh, story of the parting of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. You have a pillar of fire blocking Pharaoh's armies from attacking the Israelites until the sea is parted. Yep. And then they walk past when the sea is parted when Moses holds out his hand. Mm-hmm. So there's no place for the presence of God to dwell. It's as Moses stretches out his hand. It's in this giant pillar of fire. It's cloud. It's like these crazy symbols. Yeah. Um, And that happens all throughout Moses' leadership. So here, God's presence, though, is communicated through the Ark of the Covenant. Right. And so Joshua is centering his conquest of the land, them crossing the Jordan River around the presence of the Lord, as he should be. And this is what uh, God says in uh, Joshua 3.7. He says, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that you may know, they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Right. That's like the thesis statement for chapters three to five. Yes. Is I'm going to, God is going to prove to Israel that he will be with Joshua in the same way that he was with Moses. That's exactly right. Yeah. I also love talking about, I just, I never connected the pillar of fire with the Ark of the Covenant here. Oh, yeah. But it is. Like, yeah. if you were reading this story, and even if you saw the crossing of the Jordan as an analog or a repeat mm-hmm. of what Moses did at the Red Sea, which you should, yes, uh, it, you would automatically be thinking like, okay, I see the deli- the chosen deliverer of God uh, who will part the, the water. I see the body of water. I see the people of Israel. I see uh, a land they're leaving and a land they're coming into. All the elements are here. Oh, wait, where's God? Yeah. <laughs> where's the presence of God? And it, with Moses, it was the the pillar of fire, mm-hmm. but here it's the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. I yep. just didn't see that. And I love how they double down on that in verse 13. 
uh, when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth. And think about that. <laughs> Not the Lord of Israel. Right. The Lord of all, all the, the earth. earth. They're leaving the place that had had been before. And going into the nations. Into the nations. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Yes. So, yes, we have a repeat here. I think it would be helpful. Uh, is, is it helpful now to lay out kind of the pattern that Joshua is about to be walked through as a fulfillment of Moses here? Yes. Okay. So here's, so what's, so just let me make sure that I'm clear on what we just said. What we yes. just said was that this, we're concerned with Joshua being a worthy successor to Moses. Um, and then God is also interested in the same thing. Mm-hmm. God wants to prove to Israel that he will be with Joshua just like he has been with uh, Moses. And you can see this even in the pattern mm-hmm. of the way Joshua's narrative arc is structured in light of Moses' narrative arc of yes. leadership in Israel. That's yeah. right. So while I think it will be helpful for us to dig into each of these moments, because mm-hmm. there's awesome stuff in all of them. Just as a way of overview, let me tell you the order of things that Joshua does Mm -hmm. and then reflect on the order of things that Moses did. Yep. And we'll see something really cool. So Joshua, we hear in uh, chapter three, verse five, uh, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, Yahweh will do wonders among you. This is the same thing that was said in Exodus 19 by Moses, He's, uh, where Moses said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will come and be among us. So that's and like, that's, that's on Mount Sinai, that's, right? They're, they're camped around Mount Sinai waiting for God's presence to come. And so we kind of have this similar moment here where God's presence, yep, yeah. <laughs> God, Joshua is commissioning the people of Israel to consecrate themselves for the Lord. Then right after that, he goes and crosses the Jordan River. And then after that, they celebrate the Passover. And after that, Joshua has an encounter with a physical theophany, like which is a like a physical manifestation of God's presence. The angel of the, the Lord. The angel of the Lord who says to him, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. Right. Okay. The exact same thing happens in Moses' life, but backwards. Okay. Which is a common Hebrew literary device called a chiasm. Yeah. And it we follows. We love a good chiasm. It looks so like a big X. It's a big X. Yeah. And if you if you did, I have it here sitting in front of me, and I have Moses's X going from bottom left to top right, and I have Joshua's X going from top left to bottom right, forming an X. Yeah. And so I just walked from the top left down to the bottom right with New Sinai, Red Sea, Passover, Commander of the Lord's Army. Yeah. Now we're going to go Jordan from River. Jordan, uh, Jordan River. Yeah, Red Sea. I said yeah, yeah, yeah I said yeah. Red Sea, Jordan River. Uh, Moses plays out the same thing in reverse. Instead of it ending on the commander of the Lord's army, it starts at the burning bush where Where? he's also told, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Just as Joshua was commissioned, so was Moses. At Mount Sinai, the first time is that what you mean? Uh, oh, with it, the uh, yes. with the with the that moment at the the burning bush. At the burning bush, got yep. it. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, he goes into Egypt, does all those things, and the next thing we see that Joshua did, that Moses did, was Passover. Same mm-hmm. order, but in reverse. And then after Passover, they went and crossed the Red Sea, just like Joshua crossed mm-hmm. the Jordan. And then they went to Sinai, where they consecrated themselves for the presence of the Lord. So, yeah. like literally, there is this very clear literary connection that God has orchestrated sovereignly in the life of Joshua to repeat the pattern that He set with Moses to build confidence yeah. in the people and um, even, that are following Him. Even to think about and the, the way that the reversed order makes different points. 
So in Joshua's narrative, the fact that the commander of the Lord's army comes to visit him before he goes into battle mm-hmm. proves the legitimacy of his leadership, the fact that the Lord is with him and that he's about to take on the enemies of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in Moses's narrative, you have him consecrating himself before he gives the law proves of himself as the lawgiver towards right. Israel. Like, That's right. it, 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 like it shows you the unique ways that those characters play out. Yes. I also think it's very interesting. The, the backwards nature of Joshua's fulfillment of Moses mm-hmm. is interesting because as Moses took the people out of the land, Joshua is bringing them mm-hmm. into a new land. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so Moses went out, Joshua is going in. Uh, and then what we should see is after is kind of like, as this fulfillment is playing out, um, in chapter 4 verse 23 it seems that what god said he would do in chapter 3 which you just read is proving that joshua is a new moses mm-hmm. happens yep it says for the lord your god dried up the waters of the jordan for until you passed over um, as the lord your god did at the red sea so like we're not making up this connection right god has it here which he dried up until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the lord is mighty and that you may fear the lord your god forever so it's like He's doing it. He's repeating uh, these things, and then the last thing he's I repeating want, it in yep. order to legitimate Joshua as that's the right. new Moses. That's right, as God's chosen yep. deliverer, and to um, cast um, or to show publicly his power uh, to all the people. And then the last thing I, I would I would say in just connecting to Moses um, is there's a bookend here that happens. So when Moses steps out into the wilderness after they cross the Red Sea. God starts to feed his people with manna. Mm-hmm. And then here, once the people cross over the Red Sea and have their Passover, the manna stops. Because they're eating from the bounty of the land. Of the, land. the Lord promised to give so them. Just an, it's like an interesting um, final period, yes. you know, full stop at the end of Moses' ministry. Where it's like, as, as his ministry started with manna, that man is now ended. So it's just like an interesting little it's, book in there. And let's just go ahead and jump to say how Jesus actually fulfills all these same patterns in his own life. That's right. So like we have these literary, crossing literary structures mm-hmm. in Joshua Moses' life. But we and we don't have like the same uh, order. order, but we have all the same events yes. happening in Jesus' life because he yes. is a deliverer who's better than Joshua and a lawgiver who's better than Moses. Yeah, and part of the reason why there's not the right order is because they have happens so many times like yeah. god like jesus's life stacks a lot of these elements on top of each other and um just like ratchets them up yes. to crazy degrees so just for example mm-hmm. so we have jesus when he crosses the jordan river and john the baptist sees him and says behold the lamb of god who takes, <laughs> takes away, away the sin of the world so what do we have conflating other we have the lamb of god as like the passover lamb the passover lamb we have the crossing of the jordan river yep. happening at the same time we have god descending from heaven saying this is my son with whom i'm well pleased like will... he did at mount sinai yeah. and commissioning jesus to go like he did at the burning bush like yes. oh. and then you immediately after that jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness yep. like israel spent 40 years, years in the wilderness and Moses spent 40 days in God's presence. He's ministered to by angels in the wilderness, just as Moses experienced the Lord's presence at the burning bush, and Joshua is greeted by an angel. And we're we're told (laughs) in the New Testament that uh, angels ministered the giving of the law between God and Moses. Yes. So angels ministered to Moses on top of Mount Sinai, too. And then when Jesus comes off of his commissioning Uh and from his time in the wilderness 
with the Lord's presence, he gives the law on the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Just like Moses gave the law there. Or you could say he's coming in to conquer the land. Which he does right after the giving of the law as he drives out the uh, his enemies, his spiritual yes. enemies, sickness, death, and, and demons. Luke doesn't begin with the Sermon on the Mount. Nope. He begins with the prophecy from Isaiah. I've come to to proclaim good news to the poor good news to the poor liberty to the captives and bind up the brokenhearted Mm -hmm. like jesus repeats all these same patterns even the manna one jesus doesn't part a red sea he walks on top of the sea of galilee right after he does what produces food for five thousand people to eat bread yep (laughs) jesus is like doing all the work yes here i Uh, love that one because (laughs) The the wa- Jesus walking on water is such a common story. Yes, and uh, it's so easy to miss, like yeah. the literary pattern that's being fulfilled is Jesus. This is his new crossing of the Red Sea to show that he doesn't even have to part the waters to do it. Just, he can just walk on top of them as if <laughs> as if the top of the wet water was dry ground. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, because that's the that language is repeated in Joshua. They walked on dry ground. They walked on dry ground. That's what mm-hmm. happened in Exodus. Jesus walks on water as if it is dry. Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Then you have other things. Uh, Jesus uh, not only uh, took the Passover with his t- like twelve tribes of Israel, which which Joshua does his tro- his twelve disciples. He reinstitutes it as a new covenant uh, and says, you know what, that wine and this bread is no longer. Um, what you thought it was. Instead, it's all about me and my death on the cross. Yeah. So he like reinstitutes the Lord's Supper, ratcheting it up. Uh, yes. He even has a um, a Mount Sinai moment. Um, oh, with the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. But instead Where of Moses him, yes. is there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But instead of him seeing a, a shining, bright, blazing representative of God in a theophany, he becomes the shining, bright representation of God as the theophany himself. He is God in the flesh, dwelling on the mountain. That's cool. So it's just amazing. Like it's really cool. So many of the things that we are set up for us here in Moses and Joshua are completed and intensified in Jesus. And I think the question we have to ask is why does that matter? Other than I think I think we shouldn't belittle this fact other than just the beauty uh and sovereignty that is on display in the way that God has written this collection yeah. of letters and scrolls that we know as the Bible. It's beautiful. Well, yeah. Why does it matter that it's beautiful? Well, one, well, why yeah. does it matter that all those re- yes. repetitions are like well, one it matters because it is beautiful. Yes. And when the word is beautiful, we can celebrate the God who is who beautiful. made the beauty. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, so one way, it's like, it's one way to worship. When you're just like caught up in the narrative details of the text, we've been talking about this have. off the air. It's like, we s- celebrate the God who is beautiful and yep. has created beautiful literature. <laughs> yeah, a note on that, uh, just to get it on the record, because I just think it's been really helpful for me to think about. I used to separate the enjoyment of God from the enjoyment of his word. And while I don't want to like deify the text or anything like that. What do you mean by that? It's like you would like, uh, it's like, well, loving God is what I do during a worship service. Or like like, prayer or, mm -hmm. and and scripture was the jumping off point to get there, right? It was a means to an end. Um, And I was really confronted by Psalm 1 the other day when uh, it says that the man who's, who uh, like the wise man who's planted by a stream of water, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's okay to take delight yeah. in God's word. 
which is did like what we like, find ourselves doing so often. Right. And did you find yourself like afraid to take delight? Or? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Because like I think um, that was somehow secondary or not as good or just yeah. Part of, I think I, I think it's also like uh, maybe even just growing up or not growing up, but like uh, my theological training and seminary and and everything. Um, there's been like there's this stereotype uh, around being like a bibliophile. Yeah. Who worships the text instead of the author. And I didn't right. want to be guilty of that. Right. And God's like, I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's living and active and it's God breathed. And like yeah. at some point you can't separate me from my my book that much. Yeah. And so anyway. Yeah. So it's good the, to to see the beauty. Yeah. Seeing the beauty is an end in itself and it's awesome. Yes. It's really clever. It's really beautiful. That should make you worship the God who wrote clever and beautiful things. And who like orchestrates history to sovereignly line things up. Like yeah, it's his not just, power. Because this is just a story. These are people's lives yes. that are intersecting in these crazy So many ways. historical things had to line up for all of this to like to happen. It's yeah. like the most elaborate I don't want to say prank, but yeah. it's like, like the most elaborate sermon illustration you could ever have. <laughs> and uh, and so it would be like a preacher being like, so I have a sermon illustration for you, and I've been working on it for 50 years, and there's these four families in South Korea that I've been talking. And it's like, wait, what? What did you do? This is a big sermon illustration. Okay. Anyway, so but why does it matter theologically, Christologically, that Jesus is the new Moses and the new Joshua, that he actually fulfills this line because the the question i think that people are asking especially at the point right before jesus came is who is going to be our new deliverer we're back under roman oppression uh the law and the temple aren't quite being fulfilled as we wanted them to you have you have a lot of zealot groups and you have the essenes and the pharisees and the zealots and they're all trying to like gin up a revolution and retake the yeah. land and they need a new deliverer. And so they've had lots of different people come and claim to be that new deliverer, and none of them have been. So Jesus yeah. comes, and the same question is of him. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Yeah, are you a worthy successor to Moses? Yes. Um, yes. It's a great... The re, Yes. <laughs> it matters because up to this point, you've had a failure of leadership and a failure of law. So in the, in the in the the narrative of the Bible in the Old Testament you have leader after leader failing to secure a homeland for God's people. Right. And you have the law instead of bringing the shalom and peace and unity between God's people and the world, you see people just breaking it mm. all the time. So you have in Israel a thousand, two thousand years of failure of, yeah. of lawgivers and um, deliverers right. failing to do that task. You see hints of success yes. in the giving of the law and even hints of success in Joshua as he actually takes part of the land and secures it for them. Yeah. But they're really still waiting for somebody to do it perfectly. Yes. To do it better. And so the reason why it's important all these patterns are being repeated and then amplified and then ratcheted up is that, no, 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 Jesus is a better lawgiver than Moses, whose law will bring the peace promised. And Jesus is a better deliverer than Joshua, who will conquer our enemies mm -hmm. and give us peace in a homeland. Yeah. Like, the reason why it's important that he repeats the patterns is so that we would be clued in on the fact that he's doing what Israel has not yet experienced and he's leading us into it. 
that yeah. he's a worthy, trustworthy leader. Yes. Um, all that anxiety that we feel about, is this new leader going to be good or not for <laughs> us, is like all that anxiety is taken away when we see the narrative played out and Jesus being better. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I, I wonder how, how much of this literary pattern played out in synagogues across the Roman Empire and in Macedonia as Paul traveled and convinced people from the scriptures that Jesus right. was the promised one. I'm just curious at like how much of this was part of the way he proved that, that like, how can you say to that, that the law has been fulfilled? Who's this new Moses you're talking about? He's like, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Jesus did all these things mm-hmm. and, and f- fits the, the model laid out for us. I mean, it's, it was, it's an early church apologetic yeah. of the authenticity of Jesus as the Messiah. I just think it's very interesting. Yeah, and for all of, all you have who have Jewish friends, like this is a great way to talk about yes. the Messian, like why Jesus fulfills the hopes of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and why Christianity is 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 an, an is the continuation continuation of what our Jewish brothers and sisters believe. Yes, uh, Jesus himself um, addresses the fact that this um, question is being asked and that he is in the line of succession from Moses to Joshua as Israel's leaders. In John 5, 46, the the people are just disbelieving him, even though he's performing miracles and speaking with authority and all these things. And he says, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because Mm -hmm. Moses wrote about me. Yeah. And, and so he's seeing himself as this spiritual um, answer, uh, successor. successor, thank you, mm-hmm. uh, to Moses and to Joshua. And he says, look, if you, if you believed Moses and then you believed Joshua, you would see that I fit the pattern and that I'm next. Mm-hmm. And like, you would believe me if you read your, your Old Testament correctly. Um, and I just, I made like three observations about Jesus being the new Moses that I thought were really interesting uh, based off this statement and, and some other verses in John. Because I think John develops this theme really, really well. Uh, one, Jesus is talking about how he's next in line. Two, it was the miracles of Moses and Joshua that proved their position as God's chosen deliverer. And Jesus makes the same argument in John 10, 38 and John 14, 11. He says, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the miracles and the works that I'm performing like Moses did. Mm-hmm. Like I'm giving you everything I can here. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm showing you that I am who I say that I am. So at least believe the miracles. If you can't believe my words, if that's too much for you. Right. Uh, but then the, the crazy thing is that even though Jesus fulfilled the patterns, spoke the same way, did the miracles, authenticated his ministry, all these things, unlike the two moments in Exodus and in Joshua where the people affirm these new leaders yep. and they say, yes, everything Moses says we will do, you are God's mouthpiece, yep, we'll follow you, Joshua, into battle, you tell us where to go and we'll pounce. <laughs> they don't do the same thing for Jesus. Instead, they deny him, distance themselves from him, and crucify him. Instead, the prostitutes are the ones that trust in him. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like the new Moses and the new Joshua aren't accepted and loved yeah. and lifted up. They He is killed and rejected and villainized. Um, and that's a theme yeah. that will get de- developed in the prophets. Yes. As Israel continues its downward trajectory, they end up killing 
the new versions of Moses and Joshua that are present in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus picks up on that as well. It's like, you, your father killed the prophets. And right. Now you're killing me. Yeah. Right. So why does all that matter for us today? We kind of talked about why it matters for the original audience, mm-hmm. you know, but what about today for us? How is this good news for me today? Well, because we're in the same story as Israel. Mm-hmm. We need a leader who will give us peace from our enemies, mm-hmm. give us a homeland with with rest. We need a law that can pr- provide shalom and justice and righteousness. And Jesus repeating this pattern offers us the same thing. Do you want a kingdom where righteousness rolls like a river? Yeah. Do you want peace from your enemies, especially the ones that nobody has ever beaten, like <laughs> sin and death? Yeah. That's me. Yeah. I'm that leader. Like, So do you want freedom from death? Do you want freedom from sin? Do you want justice to rule? Enter into my kingdom. Yeah, that's really good. That is good news. I think the other thing I, um, it, I'm reflecting on, the purpose for which God acted in this way with Moses and Joshua uh, and the, it's the two things he says here that is a repeated refrain in um, Joshua 4, uh, 24. We've read it already. Uh, God is doing these miraculous works like drying up the Jordan River or the Red Sea so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, one, and two, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So it's for the nations and it's for us personally. Mm-hmm. And when I think about all the things that Jesus did to repeat the story of Moses and Joshua, all of them were also not only pointing backwards to what they did, they were pointing forward to his death. Jesus' baptism was a picture of him going into the grave and rising out of it. And so that whenever we're baptized, we do the same thing. We Mm -hmm. join him in his death and join him in his resurrection. Um, When Jesus defeated the temptation of Satan in the wilderness and was able to bring life out of a situation that could have caused death, we see his cross there and his defeat of evil. Uh, When we see him being transfigured and lifted up high, we see that even though he came down on this earth, he will be uh, restored with the glory of God that he had since the foundations of the earth. I'm just like, all this is pointing forward to the gospel um, of Jesus. And I just think it's interesting for us and really helpful for us to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus as a manifestation of his power, his great power. His presence. And his presence to show, to do the two things that God operated here to do, to, um, to show the nations that he is mighty, that God is not weak, God is not inept or unable. He is powerful to overturn anything, including death. And so we should let our hearts melt within us to fear the Lord and to put our faith in him, to follow him as a commander and say, wherever you go, I will go, like to consecrate ourselves to him. And I just, I, yeah. I think, yeah. I, I don't, I don't often reflect reflect on the miracles of Jesus as mm-hmm. fear producing in a really good, clean fear way, and like the the trusting type, the of trusting way. kind of yeah, way, yeah, where yeah. I'm like, you are mighty, and right. I will follow you because you have proven to be the deliverer that I need and want. Okay, we want to talk about a couple things (laughs) in three to five that we kind of glossed over in our overview that we want to dive into before we talk about the commander of the Lord's army. Yes, Uh, we do want to get there because it's a fun story. It's so fun. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I just, I mean, I kind of want to take, we have these three moments. We have the crossing of the Jordan, Passover, and circumcision. So like, let's just talk about each of them 
and what we want to see in those. Right. So we've talked a lot about the crossing of the Jordan already as it pointed back to Moses, pointed forward to Jesus. We don't need to rehash that. Um, but what I do want us to think about, since Jesus used the crossing of the Jordan uh, for his baptism as a picture of that, I think we also should meditate on how the crossing of the Jordan is an analog or a picture of our own baptism, right? I just think that's really interesting yeah. that baptism um, where is the time where we join Jesus in his death and resurrection, and surely as we were, we were buried with him in baptism, we will be raised with him as he was raised from the dead. Like, that's Romans 6, if you want to go read that. Um, there's also, I, I love the memorial nature of this act. Um, so after they cross the Jordan River... There's a whole chapter devoted yes. to setting up memorials yes. for the fact that they have yes. crossed the Jordan River. Stones of remembrance, if you will. Ebenezer's, yes. if you really will. If you really will, yeah. which uh, I think is first mentioned in First Samuel. An Ebenezer. Yeah. And then the hymn. Yes. Here Hunt. I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Yes. It's from this passage. Anyway, continue. Anyway, uh, and so um, they set up two different... Um, memorials. memorials. So that one of the, each of the leaders from the 12 tribes of Israel was supposed to take a stone out of the middle of the Jordan River. And they must have been big stones because he said to hoist them up on their shoulders. Yeah. So, so these are like boulders. Boulders. <laughs> small boulders. And they carry them out of the middle of the Jordan River and set them on the bank mm-hmm. of the land of Canaan. Right. As a memorial for yep. what the Lord had had done. And almost even like a... Uh, planting a flag of ownership on the land mm-hmm. like whenever we put like a yeah, like yeah, an yeah. american flag on the moon it's, it's like, like this it's is ours. god's land now <laughs> god's, right. god's land and now. then joshua after they do that he takes 12 stones from the middle of the jordan bed riverbed and then places them where the priest's feet were mm-hmm. as a memorial to the power of god's presence or the, yes. the place where god's presence dwelt for a period of yeah. time and, and so i just feel like that Joshua is setting up for us um, like um, an imaginative world here that we can see the crossing of the Jordan and therefore by extension our baptism as a sign of God's promises and provision to us like and that they are meant to be memorialized and that's how we talk about baptism a lot of denominations will talk about baptism this way mm-hmm. is that it's a it's a sign of uh, outwardly of what god has done inwardly mm-hmm. you know and i just like love that i that, it's a that, memorial for a memorial the, the 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 crossing that we have made yes. from death to life and in yeah. the same way there's a memorial underneath the water and there's a memorial memorial on the banks of the promised land and that we are memorializing in baptism our death to sin and then when we raise up and walk out of that baptistry, we are memorializing the new ground in the land of life that God has claimed for us. I think that's interesting. It's really cool. And it's like really significant. There's a whole chapter devoted to just the idea of memorial stones, yes. which is kind of blew my mind because I'm just not a memorial type of person. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to go to my high school graduation. Oh, like yeah. I just like... no. Which I know I'm not. Or high school reunions. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go to those. No. Yeah, so it's like, or like even like the first day of school photos. I'm like, I'm just not into care. that. Yep. Sure, it's worth an Instagram story, but like that's like <laughs> as much as I go for it anyway. So like the, I like it's challenging me like on a yes theological. Let's talk about baptism. That's yep. where we should land. But even like, what is the nature of remembrance yeah. and memor- memorial for the Christian? Yes. That I'm missing out on. Um, yeah. So just expect reflections on that in coming episodes. Yeah, I think I'm we should. Like, I mean, like you, think, you think about the beginning of Deuteronomy and God constantly tells them to remember, 
what he's done mm-hmm. so that they will love him and that love will lead to obedience. That's the way we're built as humans, that when we remember God's love for us, we will be made to love him and that's what leads to actions toward him. And so like that is what's happening here. Yeah. Let's let these stones stand up so we can remember what God did here today so that we'll remember to trust in his power so that when we'll take the land. Which is why, like, Peter wants to build that memorial on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's one like, of many reasons. One of many reasons. Yes. Like, but, like, the good the good part of that reason is, like, this is oh, what the Lord's... Yeah. I, ha- I I think Peter... We're not on that episode. Yeah. But I do think Peter's intentions were really good. So let's, this is where God's presence was. Let's, let's set it up. Let's remember let's this. Let's like let's do the thing that we yeah. did in the Old Testament. He's recognizing yes. all these things are happening. That's right. So anyway. Yes. So that's fun. Then we have, after the crossing of the Jordan, then they... Uh, what is it? Passover this next? Yeah. On verse 19, the, pap- the people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, which is Passover. Right. The same day God instituted with Moses the Passover back in Exodus, it's the day, the same day that the angel of death comes mm-hmm. and death passes over Israel because of the blood that's on their doorpost. Yes. Same day. Right. Well, actually four days later, which is what happens here. Anyway, oh, okay. Yes. Well, it's very interesting. And we're supposed to be clued in on this. There's a link here between, because uh, the stories in uh, in Exodus 12 to 14 mm-hmm. are the Passover and then the Red Sea. They're very closely linked. They kind of flee in haste from Passover, which is why they're supposed to eat unleavened bread, because they're supposed to leave in haste. And then they go right to the Red Sea. Here, it's played out backwards, like we've talked about. And they go th- through the Red Sea, uh, and it's their passage through the Red Sea that is said to be, or the Jordan River that's said to be in haste, verse oh, 10. Was... It's a different Hebrew word, but it has the it's same exact so, meaning. So fun. And it's so the people passed, o- and it's the people passed over in haste. And that is the same word, not for Passover, but it is the same word in Exodus 12 that it says that God will pass through the land of, of Egypt and kill all the firstborn children. And so, and it's repeated three times. Hmm. Uh, the people passed over in haste and when all the people finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over. And so it's like, we're being set up for the Passover here right. <laughs> very clearly. Um, and I just think that's super interesting. That's amazing. So they come up out. That's amazing. So they yep. come up out of the water on the first day of the Passover feast. Mm-hmm. Passover feast was supposed to last four days. So first day of the feast, they come out of the water. And on the last day uh, of the feast is when they finally eat the lamb. Okay. Um, it, that's happened in Israel and both times. Um, but what's interesting here is you have this strange story about circumcision. Yes. Um, so after uh, they come up to the land the first day of the Passover, mm-hmm. a new celebration of the Passover, um, Moses explains, not Moses, Joshua tells everyone that all the men need to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this, and there's a long explanation for why that this has to happen, but essentially... The generation that was in the wilderness had all been circumcised. Yes. Yet they were disobedient. Right. Um, and while they were in the wilderness, no child had been circumcised. Right. Uh, is there a good reason for that? So the reason the text gives is because they were traveling. Which, which I guess makes sense. <laughs> I guess, but they're kind of still traveling right here. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if it has to do with... I have two observations about this. One is, does it have to do about like like connecting with their disobedience was their refusal to circumcise their children a reflection of their inward disobedience probably two you also have a very similar and strangely cryptic story 
in Moses's calling in Exodus 4, where he's traveling down to Egypt and God stands against him to kill him because he has not circumcised his children, just mm-hmm. like the older generation didn't circumcise the younger generation in the wilderness on their way to the land. Yeah. And Moses obeyed, and then God was with him. But the people of Sephora Israel obeyed yeah, on his oh, behalf. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Sephora just, uh, obeyed on his behalf. Uh, but no one obeyed, neither husband mm-hmm. or wife. So no children were circumcised. So God was not with them, or you know, but was against them. That I had was that it could even be a sim, not um, a willful mm-hmm. act of disobedience, but a symbolic um, judgment. It's like yes. because we're not in the land, because we know we will be in the land for forty years, we will not circumcise this generation mm-hmm. because it's a symbol of God's judgment against us. This is the uncircumcised generation who will yep. not be a part of God's land. So anyway, yeah. all that in the background, all of that. Uh, Moses says, because you are now in God's land as we were promised, because we've already crossed over the Jordan River, because we've already been set here, we will circumcise ourselves in obedience the law and not only that but also in fulfillment of the promise to abraham where yes. circumcision started yes. was god promised that he would be a great nation so that it would come from his reproductive organ a great nation and so he circumcised his reproductive organ to show that that promise visibly and so now his great nation is in the land that was promised to him and they all join him in that visible sign of the covenant. And so this is a this is a sign to link us back all the way to Genesis 15 that what God promised to Abraham so long ago is finally coming true. That's right. Yeah. And I I I don't know if this is a legitimate connection but even just like the bloodiness of circumcision mm-hmm. um, compared to the the bloodiness of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and spread on the doorpost of the house as mm. a symbol of passing over uh, right. of God's ra- of, God, of the angel of death. So here we have they've passed over the Jordan and there's another new symbol of blood that kind of d- proves the same thing. Right. The, and he says it this way: the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away from you. Yes. So the reproach of Egypt that came towards them and then killed Egyptians was rolled over uh, the doorpost of, mm. of, of, uh, of the Jewish homes that had sacrificed lamb. And so here you have people obeying bloodily and the reproach of Egypt is being rolled off of them, both mm. as a symbolic picture of what the Egyptians uh, disobedience, but also their disobedience in the Very wilderness. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I want to say something about that yeah. reproach yeah. language. I think this line is very interesting. So they, the whole nation is circumcised, and once they finished being healed from this very bloody operation, the Lord says to Joshua, what you've just said, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Um, this word reproach uh, means shame or taunt. Um, and it's this idea that uh, gets repeated all throughout the wilderness that um, Moses brings it up. The people of Israel bring it up when they are about to die in the wilderness. They say, oh, that we would have died in Egypt or what will the Egyptians think of us if we die out here that our God is fake and that like that the gods of Pharaoh ultimately prevailed because he led us out into the wilderness to just let us die that Yahweh brought us out here just so we can die. And there's this taunt and shame um, and like uh, coming from Egypt to the people of Israel. Um, that's one level of it. The other level of it is their past like sin and 
um, all of the predilections that they got from Egypt of building the golden calf yeah. and being Egyptian mm-hmm. and like the condemnation and shame and separatedness that that brings between them and Yahweh. And God is saying, in circumcising you, I'm rolling all of that back. I'm going to prove that I am a God who is with you and is more powerful than the God of Pharaoh. I've proved that at the Red Sea and now again at the Jordan River. And I'm cutting out your Egyptness. Hmm. I'm cutting out your Pharaohness. Uh, and I'm removing his shame and his rebuke and his reproach and his taunts from you. I, That's pretty cool. I, I think it's beautiful. And so it makes me think about how then later, actually not even later, Moses talked about circumcision of the heart. Yeah. And that's used all throughout the Bible. And I'm just like wondering, is is this a helpful way for us to think about circumcision of the heart? That when the Holy Spirit circumcises our heart, he cuts out our reproach. He cuts yeah. off our shame, all the taunts that the enemy levels yeah. against us. Those connections to Egypt. Those connections terror. to Babylon and our own fallen nations that we live in right now. And he's cutting, carving that stuff off of us. Like, I just think it's a beautiful picture that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and carves out our shame and our reproach and the taunts that stand against us and is carving out all that is evil in us. I just think it's beautiful. It is. It's it's really beautiful. And just to even think about how like persistent that shame and comparison always was for Israel. It's like, it's like, it's just persistent fact of their wilderness wanderings was like they one they always wanted to go back to their abusers <laughs> yes and two they were always afraid of being shamed by their their oppressors exactly right so i'm like well one that sounds like really human yes like, that we return to our abusers and we mm-hmm. want our oppressors to feel proud of us strangely yeah, like that's, so that's such a strange thing in, in like in our own hearts and the lord's like i'll take away all that shame yeah i'll destroy your oppressors I'll take away the shame. I'll give you new hearts. Yeah. That's really powerful. And ultimately, this was able to happen um, not because we're circumcised and we have something cut off of us, you know, as a payment of blood or whatever. Um, you know, bridegroom of blood is what Zipporah yeah, yeah, yeah. says back in Exodus 4. But because Jesus bore our shame and our reproach. He was taunted for us. Like, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so blown away by that. He was cut off for us. Like, insults and and derision was hurled at him so that we could just have it cut off of us i just think it's beautiful it's gorgeous so then we have this and then fun fact before we oh oh, yes rolled away the reproach in hebrew is gilgal so that's oh that's what it means that's it's the gilgal just means rolled away well there we go so anyway fun fact name my my next child gilgal i would love that if it's a if it's a if it's a girl hey gilgal gilgal she's my gilgal i like it <laughs> that's terrible i love it only a father can make that kind of a joke um we'll make it happen if we get to what a million subscribers in the next 10 weeks there we go we'll name david's child gilgal, gilgal. <laughs> i don't think that's enough impetus for uh, this kind of wildfire to spread. I think it is. Okay. I think it is. We believe. <laughs> Naming rights to another human. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. Motivation. Anyway. Anyway, then they celebrate the Passover yes. on the day that they were supposed to on the plains of Jericho, mm-hmm. foreshadowing uh, the, yes. the future battle. And they eat from the land. Mm-hmm. They eat from the land of milk and honey. And so on the day they eat from the land of milk and honey. Right. The and it's for, stops. I have to say it now that you brought it up. It's foreshadowing 
Passover in the plains of Jericho is foreshadowing because Israel will be completely spared and Jericho will be judged. Just like in Egypt, the Passover mm-hmm. spared Israel yep. but condemned Egypt. There Just, you go. That's what's happening here. There you is go. the spirit of God is going to move again. Yeah. And judge, which is an excellent segue into the final little oh, moment true. of the command of the Lord's army. Oh, that is interesting so just, to to think so, about the God who killed in so, Egypt. Yeah. So with think this about person. The, the angel, the the, uh, the angel of death in in Israel. You have this angel that will indiscriminately kill the firstborn. Yeah, unless there is blood. So that's 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 the background. You're feasting on the fields of Jordan, uh, Jericho. Mm-hmm. You have this in the back of your mind. And all of a sudden, Joshua is greeted by uh, an angel. Mm. And he says to this angel who's dressed like he's ready for war, are you on our side or are you for our adversaries? And he responds, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Hey, Seth, is your favorite color red or blue? No, <laughs> that's what happened here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of confusing because like, who is this angel of the Lord? Right, and I think we've set up good categories. This is his burning bush moment. Yes, this is God. This is God. This is God. He tells them take his shoot sandals off. This is holy ground. This is God. Yeah, angels don't make places holy. No, God does. Yes, and so then he asks God, "Whose side are you on?" And God says. Not yours. <laughs> and, <laughs> and not, not theirs. I'm on my side. I'm on my side. Uh, which should tell us a whole bunch of things. Yes. About the conquest narratives that we're about to read. Yep. God isn't for Israel as a nation and against the Canaanites as a nation. Right. He's for himself and his obedience in all nations. And like obedience to himself in all nations. Which is why we have Rahab obeying. Which we have the Gibeonites obeying in a second. Like yep. he's for his name and the worship of Yahweh being proclaimed. Right. Which is what he said to Moses in the burning bush. I'm going to send you in so that my name, for yeah. the sake of my name, so that it will triumph and get glory over Pharaoh. Yeah. And that might not do a whole bunch of work for you to make it you feel better about the conquest narratives. It doesn't have to. That's I'm not just, what we're trying like, to do here. Not, but yeah. the point is, what it's doing is like this is primarily about worshiping the true God of heaven mm. and earth. Yeah. So that's, so that's on one level it's doing that. That's what the work that it's doing for yes. us. On the other level, it shows us how God kind of deals with all of humanity. Hmm. Like there's, it's the angel of death moment. Like there's judgment coming against all of of humanity. There's an angel of death coming against all of humanity. Oh yeah, when Joshua approaches him, this angel of the Lord has his sword drawn. Yes. You don't draw your sword unless you're going to battle. Yeah, so like the world has a sword drawn against it. Yeah. And so we don't need to impute malicious motives on God's part. We just know the sword's drawn against it because we all die. That's right. Like we're going to die whether by an angel of death or death. Like the sword is drawn, we will die. And then when we meet God, our question's probably going to be the same as Joshua's. Are you on my side <laughs> or <laughs> or not? <laughs> or not. And he says, "No. no. I'm on my side." Yeah. And so how do you escape death? Mm. I don't know, Seth. <laughs> how do you escape death? Well, the by the blood of a lamb. Yeah. Oh, they're sitting there with lamb between their teeth when all <laughs> yes. this is still happening. Yeah. There's blood uh, from circumcision, blood from lambs, and a sword is drawn. Yeah. And the angel of death has come back. And whose side are you on? Are you here to kill us? 
or are you here to kill them? No, I'm here to take the life and enact justice against people who don't have the protection of Yahweh over them. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you how do you, how do you get the protection of Yahweh? How do you escape the drawn sword? You eat the Passover lamb. Yes. You find protection in his blood. Mm. And then what's beautiful then about Jesus is he takes so many of like the problems we have with framing the conversation that way and then add, he but God himself becomes the Passover lamb. Yes. So that we can eat him and not experience any death. It's profound. It's amazing. When when Jesus comes as the commander of the Lord's army, mm-hmm. and we say, who are you here to kill? Who are you here to judge? The enemies, the Gentiles, the or Israel, the Pharisees, yeah. or Israel, the Jews, yeah. who? And he says, no, I'm here to judge myself. I'm going to yes. turn my divine sword on myself, on the cross. And that's that's how you will escape my just my justice, mm-hmm. is that I will bear it for you. Like, wow. That's... <laughs> profoundly beautiful (laughs) yeah and so we eat the passover lamb we ingest him with faith and we put all of our trust and all of our hope on him and we just come to him like joshua came to the commander of the lord's army right and we Mm -hmm. just say you fell on his face and worshiped him exactly we fall on our face we worship we say i'm your servant Mm -hmm. what do you want from me and like that's what yeah we do yeah it's beautiful Beautiful, beautiful. That's Joshua 3 to 5. Joshua 3 to 5. Joshua is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Joshua. Jesus is the Jesus commander, is the commander the of the army of the Lord. Uh, who's not on your side. That's right. He's kind of against his own side almost. Yeah, he's it's like... crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Uh, okay, well, I'll remind you all, um, if you have any questions about what you heard um, or a past episode of Joshua, future episode of Joshua, uh, drop us a line at uh, podcast, mm-hmm. podcast, singular, singular. podcast at spokengospel.com. Send us your question, a little short type, or record yourself asking it, and uh, we'll do a Q&A later on. And just to say thank you, we officially passed 100 reviews on iTunes. Yes. So we just, we've loved doing this for you guys, with you guys, for our own sake. Yeah. We're really humble that you guys are listening. Thank you for engaging on uh, iTunes. More people are here. Yeah, so if you haven't reviewed yet, please do that. It helps a lot of people find us, so it helps us keep growing and sharing this, uh, this information for people. So thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week in Jericho. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel and our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.